Thank you, Sam. Genesis chapter 45. Tonight we're going to look at the account of Joseph, the brother who forgave his brothers. It was time for Joseph to reveal his identity to his brothers. Joseph had been testing his brothers to see if their character had changed. Joseph had been watching them. He had put his brothers through a series of tests. He put them through a series of tests to see if his brothers were genuine. He had to see if they were being authentic. Were they being true? Were they being real? Joseph also had to see if they were still jealous. Would they be jealous if he blessed Benjamin with love? with attention and favor. And Joseph also had to see if they were, if they really loved his father and Benjamin. Would there be a jealous reaction in their hearts as he had experienced before? Or have they changed? The pinnacle moment came at the end of chapter 44 As Joseph listened to Judah's plea, he listened to him to see whether or not they would abandon Benjamin as they had done with him. Look at the last two verses of chapter 44, verses 33 and 34. It says, Judah says, Now therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad as a slave to my Lord. And let the lad go up with his brothers. For how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me? Lest perhaps I see the evil that would come upon my father. So Judah pleaded with Joseph and offered to take Benjamin's place as a slave. And once Joseph knew that there was a change of character and the coast was clear, he was able to reveal his identity to them. And now Joseph is going to give them the biggest shock of their lives as he tells them who he is. All the emotions that, had, that Joseph had been holding inside are now going to be let out as he is now able to be reconciled with his family. As we look at this chapter tonight, keep in mind that As we go through it, we're going to be looking at reconciliation. Reconciliation taking place. We're going to see forgiveness given. And we'll see hope come to pass. As well as God's love and God's grace being manifested. And we're going to see this as Joseph reveals his identity. Verses 1 to 15. As Joseph's resources are revealed to his brothers, verses 16 to 24. And as the truth that Joseph is alive is revealed to Jacob, his father, in verses 25 to 28. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. 
And he cried out, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him, while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. Notice the word then, the very first word there in chapter 45. Uh, This is a connective word. Making the action that had just happened. It's connecting the action that had just happened at the end of chapter 44 that we just read. So you can say that when Judah had finished speaking, or at the end of Judah's speech, or when Joseph heard this, and then verse 1 goes on to say, then Joseph could not restrain himself anymore. He couldn't control his emotions anymore. He felt himself starting to lose it. He knew that he was going to cry or he began to cry. It's remarkable when you look at this that Joseph was able to withhold his true uh, character from his brothers for a couple of years. But now he couldn't contain himself any longer. And there were other times when he had to excuse himself from their presence when his emotions were about to go out of control. You guys saw this in chapter 42 and uh, 43. So he addressed all those who worked for him, the servants, to leave the room. So it was just Joseph and his family in the room. The end of verse 1 tells us, So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. There's a couple of reasons for Joseph asking everyone to leave except his brothers. One was that Joseph uh, may have felt the outpouring of his emotions that they may not have come across, they wouldn't come across well to his servants, so it would probably lower his esteem towards them. But also, and most important, Joseph probably commanded everybody to leave except his brothers, to deal with the matter of sin of the sin of his brothers in the closest privacy. This was a family matter. It was to be a private time, not for outsiders. Even as Proverbs 21.16 says, A fool's wrath is known at once, but a prudent man covers shame. Matthew 18.15 tells us, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault, you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained a brother. There's a lot of wisdom in Joseph asking his servants to leave the room while he dealt with the sins of his brothers. Verse 2 tells us that Joseph wept aloud. In other words, his emotions burst out in sobs. And wailing. Think about it. Joseph had been separated from his brothers for about 20 years. For over 20 years. And the hope of the longing for his family that he had in his heart all those years. Had now come to pass. The end of verse 2 tells us that his crying out loud was so piercing. That the Egyptians and Pharaoh's household took notice of it. His servants were probably right outside the room. They, would, they, were, they were devoted and they were probably right out there standing there. So if he needed them, they would be ready. 
So the big moment comes in verse 3. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. Joseph drops this bombshell on them as he declares his identity. He says, I am Joseph. But notice he quickly follows this by declaring... Uh, by declaring his identity, by declaring his concern for his father. He says, I am Joseph. And then he says, does my father still live? See, Joseph cared greatly for his elderly father, even as his brothers did. He shows concern, immediate concern. And the crazy thing is, by Joseph identifying himself, his brothers stood in front of the one whom they had wronged, and now their outcome was in his hands. They now stood in front of the one who had the power to order them killed. He could have had them tortured or thrown in jail, and it would be done. Think about it. For two decades, his brothers assumed that they had escaped all accountability. For their behavior. So to say that they were surprised at his announcement of his identity, it's putting it mildly. The end of verse 3 describes their reaction. Notice it says, His brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. Dismayed means these guys were stunned, they were terrified in their hearts. The brothers were frightened right out of their sandals. (laughs) And they were so stunned to find themselves face to face with Joseph that they could not answer his question about their father. In fact, they are not, their words are not recorded until verse 26 when they go back to their father. When Judah and his brothers waited anxiously for an answer from Joseph at the end of chapter 44, they did not know that Joseph, who Joseph was or what he intended to do. When the brothers saw the ruler of Egypt send everyone out of the room, they probably saw his eyes welling up. They probably saw his chest getting caught up with emotion and they probably just thought that he was angry. And now if they thought the worst was yet to come by thinking he was an Egyptian governor, they were really in for this huge surprise. Now this Egyptian blurts out in Hebrew, I am Joseph. This was far worse news for them than the verdict of Joseph the Egyptian. Because this brought on a whole new set of issues. A whole new set of anxiety that they did not expect. It was bad enough to stand before a powerful Egyptian governor who was angry at the theft of the cup. But to realize that he was their brother and who they had sold into slavery. This was too much for them. I mean... Think about the look on their faces. (laughs) They had to think that Joseph would 
really come now as their enemy, whom they had just unjustly condemned. They were probably thinking back now and were able to understand all those events that led to this moment. And they looked back at the test Joseph took them through with the sacks and the money and the cup and Benjamin. And they probably thought to themselves, now we know why he did all this. His brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence. Look at verse 4. And Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Uh, they were probably so shocked by Joseph's identity that they probably jumped back. And Joseph had to say, Come near. And it was evident to Joseph that his brothers were not able to grasp this revelation that he gave to them. So Joseph says to them, please come near to me. And this time, not only uh, he not only says, I'm Joseph, your brother, I'm Joseph, that's your brother. But he says, I am Joseph, your brother. And to make sure that they didn't think that he was some imposter, some fraud, he shares a big secret with them. Says to them, whom you sold into Egypt. Whoa, no one else knew that. Uh-oh. And by this statement, Joseph is revealing the secret that had been hidden for a very long time. The secret that had ripped him away from his family. But what, what blows my mind, what I think is remarkable, is that Joseph quickly displays an attitude of forgiveness to them. Notice what he tells them in verse 5. He says, But now, do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. He encouraged them right away not to grieve or be angry with themselves. And, and to me, this tells me that Joseph had you get a glimpse that he had this intimate connection with his Lord. Because look, notice what he says at the end of verse 5, For God sent me before you to preserve life. I mean, you get this picture that Joseph was coming from a solid, strong outlook because he knew that the Lord had been in control. His attitude was quite impressive because this was his opportunity. He could have lashed down at these guys. He could have just, you know, after holding it in all these years, just pour out the blame and the anger. But he didn't do that. Instead, he wanted to impress on them that, that the hand of the Lord had been evident, clearly evident in his life. God was in control. He wanted them to see God's providence. And how God allowed Joseph to be sent to Egypt. So the end result would be a great blessing to a lot of people. He wanted his brothers to truly realize that God was working out his purposes. Notice two important contrasts here though in verse 5. He says, you sold me here. And at the same time he says, God sent me before you to preserve life. 
So I, I point this out because the statement shows that Joseph kept both sides of the truth before his brothers. In other words, Joseph, he's not diminishing his brother's responsibility for what they did to him, but he also lets them know that the Lord was in, the, was in control. He says, you did this, but God was in control. He's giving them both sides of the truth. Joseph further explains God's purposes in verses 6 and 7. He says, for these two years... The famine has been in the land and there are still five years in which there will be uh, neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Joseph's trials were the means of saving his family in the midst of the famine. That was that was God's immediate purpose. Joseph's family would have died in the famine if, the, if Joseph was not sent ahead to the, of, of the brothers to preserve a remnant. But there is an element of prophecy here that I wonder if Joseph even understood or, or knew the far intentions that God had planned as he spoke all this to his brothers. God's prophetic plan was for Joseph to go to Egypt where he would be the instrument where Israel would be spared as a remnant. That's what the word posterity there means in verse 7. And some 430 years later, God would bring a great deliverance. The word deliverance there in verse 7 means an escaped company. And that would be through Moses in the Exodus. God had told Abram back in Genesis 15... Verses 13 and 14, he said, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them 400 years. And also the nation whom, I serve, whom they serve, I will judge afterward. They shall come out with great possessions. So God in his wisdom chose Egypt to make the, the, the children of Israel a nation. And here's Joseph looking back at all the suffering and the trials that he went through being the instrument of God's plan. If you guys get a chance this week, take, a, take time to read Psalm 105. It gives a history of Israel, a really great history of Israel, but right in the middle of Psalm 105, around verse 16, it included Joseph and what he went through. It's pretty incredible when you take time to really think this through and just realize it. What God was working out his plan. And on top of all this, and even though Joseph is referring to the famine here that they're, be de they're being delivered from, I, I, I believe that there was another deliverance that was taking place here that God was working out in Joseph's brother's. I believe the brothers were, were bearing witness to the incredible things that the Lord was working in Joseph's heart in life. He was being a witness to them in a, in a powerful way here. And through this, I believe Joseph wanted his brothers to see God, how God works. I believe that Joseph was being a witness to his family so they can see how the Lord can deal with anger 
how the Lord can deal with hate and how the Lord can deal with bitterness and put forgiveness and reconciliation in a person's heart. He wants them to draw close to God in this way. To have a real relationship to the Lord and draw from his power. Again, it's pretty incredible when you truly look at all that is going on here in Joseph's life. So Joseph summarized all this by saying in the first part of verse 8, So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And these were probably the greatest words these guilty family members had ever heard. Joseph, who was a victim of their uh, wickedness and who now held their lives in his hands, was standing there offering them forgiveness. Only a person walking closely with the Lord and drawing from his power and putting their trust in the Lord can truly accomplish this. Joseph goes on to tell his brothers what else God was doing in his life. Look at verse 8. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Joseph says that God made him a father to Pharaoh. It means um, Joseph was an advisor. He was a chief counselor. He was the one in place of giving Pharaoh advice. He was the one who stood next to Pharaoh and whispered in his ear. Joseph also said that, that he was made lord of all of Pharaoh's house. It means he was a master or controller over Pharaoh's house. And Joseph tells his brothers he made... He was made ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. It means that, that he was the chief of all the people of Egypt. He had dominion over the people. So Joseph's position here in relation to Pharaoh was in a personal level, a social level, and a national level. So right after Joseph made his identity known to his brothers, he makes immediate plans for his father's household to move to Egypt. Look at verse 9. He says, Hurry, go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. Joseph didn't waste any time. He acts in a direct manner. He's a man of resolve. He's a doer. Take charge kind of guy. It's a good example for us. In verse 10 and 11, Joseph continues to command his brothers what to say to their father. He says, You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near to me, you and your children and your children's children, your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you, lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty, for there are still five years of famine. He tells them, you're going to dwell in the land of Goshen. The land of Goshen was, was a district in Egypt. It was on the northeastern section of the Nile Delta. I was looking it up on a, on a map, and it looks pretty awesome there. <laughs> but uh, it was a lush area that was known as the best of the land. And uh, you're going to see this in chapter 47, verses 6 and 11. It says that. Uh, it had some of the most fertile land in Egypt. But it was also not far from the royal residence. So Joseph would have close access to his family. Dwelling in the land of Goshen here, when he says this, it's significant because um, it, when you go forward 400 years, 
You get to the Exodus. Exodus 1.8 tells us that there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. At that time, the children of Israel, as you know, they greatly multiplied and, and they're still living in the land of Goshen. It's where God planted them. It's where they grow and it's where Joseph abundantly provided for them. Here at this time in the land of Goshen. Notice Joseph says something fascinating in verse 12. I think it's just crazy. He goes, And behold, your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You get the feeling that his brothers, that they're still stunned at the revealing of Joseph's identity. So he gives them more proof that he's their brother. Notice he says, uh, Your eyes see. He's giving them the proof of sight. Look closely, see the resemblance he's telling them. And he gives them proof in the sound of his voice. Joseph tells them, it is my mouth that speaks to you. And Joseph is not only speaking to them in their language now, but he's telling them to listen to the familiarity in his voice. In other words, guys, it's truly me standing before you. The beard is just an Egyptian beard. That's not the way I really look. It's me. In verse 13, Joseph tells his brothers to go and convey all this to their father and bring him to Egypt. He says, so you shall tell my father of all the glory, all my glory in Egypt and of all that you have seen. And you shall hurry and bring my father down here. Joseph wanted his brothers to hurry. Go tell their father of all his commanding presence, all the influence he had and all the splendor in Egypt. And above this, Joseph wanted his to bring comfort to his father that he was alive. And he was able to provide for the whole family during the famine. So in verses 14 and 15, we have a, 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 just an incredible moving scene of, of, of love and forgiveness. Look at verse 14. He says, Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept on his neck. Moreover, he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. If there is any doubt at all that Joseph had forgiven his brothers, it was dispelled when Joseph and all his brothers wept. He wept over them. The tears that they shed were tears of joy. There was forgiveness and reconciliation taking place here. And, and it would be easy for Joseph to embrace Benjamin here. But by Joseph displaying, you know, going, doing this for his brothers, you, you see the display of, of, of grace and forgiveness here. Love toward his other brothers. Uh, I like the way Warren Wiersbe put this. He said, because the hidden sin had been exposed and dealt with, and forgiveness had been granted, mercy and truth met together, and righteousness and truth kissed each other. Only as Warren Wiersbe can put it. Forgiveness and, and reconciliation, you guys, is a powerful function in the Christian's walk. When the Lord does a work on our hearts through forgiveness and rec reconciliation, Satan cannot touch that. He can't mess with us anymore. 
Because bitterness and anger are gone and he loves to feed on that. Satan has to leave and go somewhere else. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32 says, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God and Christ forgave you. Only by the power of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit can a person's life be affected in this way. Notice what the end of verse 15 tells us. And after that, Joseph talked with his brothers. We don't have the details of this conversation. But you can only imagine what they talked about as they saw the forgiving spirit of Joseph and his reconciliation is taking place. The brothers probably just poured out just gratitude toward Joseph's actions. They had to communicate all kinds of things that were on their heart at this point. After being separated all these years, I'm sure they talked to them about their father and their wives and their children. This was a great start that took place through forgiveness and restoration of Joseph and his brothers, but there was still more that needed to take place. In verses 16 to 24, Joseph's resources are revealed to his brothers. Look at verse 16. He says, now the report of it was heard in Pharaoh's house saying, Joseph's brothers have come. So it pleased Pharaoh and his servants well. Pharaoh received the report that there was a family reunion. And he heard this about Joseph and his brothers. And the news probably passed from Joseph's officers to those in the king's court who communicated it to Pharaoh. At the end of verse 16, it says, so it pleased Pharaoh. In other words, it was good in the eyes of Pharaoh. Now, think about this. If Pharaoh knew the specifics, how Joseph came to Egypt, I don't think he would have been pleased to know the family reunion. But I believe Pharaoh was pleased because it seems that Joseph never informed him of this, of what had happened to him, the injustice done to him by his brothers. And it probably better helps us to understand why Joseph sent out all the servants in verse 1 when he revealed his identity to his brothers. Even back in chapter 40 when Joseph maintained his innocence to the butler and baker, he, but he didn't mention the guilt of his brothers even back then. Back there in Genesis 40, 14 and 15, he said, But remember me when it is well with you, and please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. And then he says, For indeed I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews. And I have also done nothing here that they should put me in the dungeon. And, and even though Joseph maintained his innocence, he never exposed the guilt of his brothers. And as a result, Pharaoh was not affected by having his feelings of anger or ill will towards Joseph's brothers. So he could receive them joyfully in their reunion. I share this because there are many times when we need, when discretion about the sins of another makes the restoration process a lot easier. We try and do that here at Calvary Chapel as much as we can. So that no one, because there's going to be restoration, hopefully. We want to see that. 
And sometimes people who may not receive it the same way, and they hold, they look at that person in a different light than those who uh, receive them back. It's like in marriage. It's not always good to go to your father or your mother or your brother and sister about an argument you just had with your spouse. It's not good because after you and your spouse reconcile, you have the mom and dad, the brother, sister, the relative who loves you so much that they might not have the same feelings about them that you revealed about your spouse. You've got to be careful. So Pharaoh had a lot of respect for Joseph. So what pleased Joseph would make Pharaoh happy. So it was not a coincidence that Pharaoh confirmed Joseph's offer and then, and then Pharaoh extends the best of Egypt and was even more generous than Joseph. Look at verses 17 to 20. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, Do this, load your animals and depart. Go to the land of Canaan. Bring your father and your households and come to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you will eat the fat of the land. Now you are commanded, do this. Take carts out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and your wives. Bring your father and come. And do not be concerned about your goods for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. In verse 17, Pharaoh says to Joseph, do this. He expected Joseph to carry out what he had told him, his command. In verse 18, Pharaoh says that they will eat the fat of the land. It means that they're going to be given a good pasture. A fat pasture is what it means. In verse 19, Pharaoh even provided the transportation they needed. He says, take carts out of the land of Egypt. The word cart there, it refers to a wagon used for transporting people and their property. Not everyone had these. Wagons or carts were considered valuable gifts and they were even used as offerings. In number seven, the leaders of Israel made an offering to the Lord when the tabernacle was completed and they, used, they, they offered carts or wagons. And I don't think these carts that Pharaoh provided were just rickety old carts. These carts were probably top of the line right off the showroom floor. Yeah, I, I, I think they were the Tesla of that day and age, you know. <laughs> they probably had these very ornate, elaborate carvings that were painted on them. So the brothers returned back to Canaan to their father in these wagons or carts, and, and that would be a very big deal. Notice at the end of verse 19 who these wagons were for. They were for the little ones and the wives. In verse 20, Pharaoh wants Joseph to assure his family that they don't have to be concerned about the goods that they might have to leave behind. In other words, he's telling them not to look back with regret about leaving any possessions behind. Pharaoh knew that the family might not be able to carry all their stuff back to Egypt. So he advised Joseph to tell them not to worry if they have to leave their possessions behind. Made me think of Philippians three thirteen and 14. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the upward prize, the upward call of, in, of God in Christ Jesus. 
So even as Pharaoh was telling Joseph's family to leave all their baggage behind, we need to leave the baggage behind that would hinder us in serving the Lord. Doesn't mean we can't have nice things, can't have a house, but the house must not own us. Doesn't mean that we can't have money in the bank, but we must not be possessed by those possessions. Our real deposit must be in the bank of heaven where moth and rust does not destroy and thieves cannot break in and steal. Notice the promise at the end of verse 20. If they have to leave some of their possessions behind, he says, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. So Joseph wanted his father and his brothers, their wives and their children to come to Egypt. And Pharaoh also wanted this for Joseph's sake. In verses 21 to 24, Joseph loads his brothers with supplies for the journey to go get their father, and he gives them an interesting last-minute instruction in, uh, in this next section here. He's, look at verse 21. It says, Then the sons of, Joseph, of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them carts according to the command of Pharaoh, and he gave them provisions for the journey. He gave to all of them, to each man, changes of garment, but to Benjamin he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of garment. Joseph not only gave carts and wagons for the journey, but he also gave them a change of clothes. Some say that this change of clothes was symbolic of a new beginning. Because the brothers, they had torn their clothes as a sign of mourning back in chapter 44. And now they have new garments, which is symbolic of a new beginning and a new period, the period of mourning being over now. These guys had left us in poor shepherd's clothing. Now they were returning back to Canaan in Egyptian designer apparel. They went back looking like earth, wind, and fire. <laughs> Maurice White. But for Benjamin, Joseph gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of garment. And I point this out because I believe that it didn't matter. It did not matter anymore. Because there was now forgiveness. There was now repentance. It was all behind them now. It didn't matter. And it made me think about even as our walk, that, that we shouldn't be jealous or of distinctions. You know, so what if so-and-so has a better car? It's okay if I don't get invited to your barbecue. You know, we, we shouldn't be concerned about distinctions or comparisons and give the opportunity to the enemy in our flesh. Verse 23, and he went to his father, he sent to his father these things, ten donkeys loaded with good things, the good things of Egypt, and ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, food for his father for the journey. Joseph gave him a lot of provisions for every step of the way so that they'd have enough even when he brought them back, when they came back. At the end of verse 24, Joseph says something interesting to his brothers. As they departed, he said to them, See that you do not become troubled along the way. He's telling them, it, what's implying there is that don't get into a fight. When you go back, I, first, I laughed when I first saw that because it, it made me think of, of someone telling a, a child, uh, scolding children, make sure you behave yourself on the way back to Canaan. 
I can hear Joseph saying, don't be fighting, you guys. I don't want to hear that you've been misbehaving all the way back home. Joseph knew his brothers well. But, you know, they had the journey back. And I believe that Joseph knew that all that way back and all that had gone on, that they would be evaluating all that had happened and just the guilt just hitting them as they go back and uh, they might start passing blame toward each other. And arguments might start happening. So Joseph basically is saying to them, don't mess up by getting yourselves into a fight on your way back home. There's more important things now to be concerned with. Now in verses 25 to 28, the truth that Joseph is alive is revealed to Jacob, their father. At this time, Jacob was waiting. He's waiting back there with great hope that his sons would return and You know, he was probably looking out there all the time, waiting anxiously for any sign of his son's returning. And then with Benjamin being with them, it must have been even more intense for him, waiting that they would all come back. And finally, he sees his sons appear there out there in the distance. And a great relief comes upon him. But he also notices all these Cadillacs And all these donkeys loaded with all kinds of stuff. And Benjamin wearing this outfit like if he's in earth, wind, and fire. And then even the neighbors, man, they must have just bulged out, man, with their eyes when they saw the brothers pull into Canaan with all these provisions. Remember, this was a time of famine. And Jacob must have been so overjoyed to see this sight, but... He was totally unprepared for what was about to go down here. Look at verse 25. Then they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to Jacob their father. And they said to him, Joseph is still alive and he is governor over the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart stood still because he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words which Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the cards which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. Then Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. The words, Joseph is still alive, they were just way too much for him to believe. Verse 26 says to us that Jacob's heart stood still because he did not believe them. It means his heart froze. His heart became numb. Jacob was probably trying to to process all this news. And at the same time, he's probably thinking, didn't they assure me that Joseph was dead? Didn't they present convincing evidence? Things just didn't add up. These sons had some explaining to do. And on the flip side, Think about the brothers, because they had a, they had to, they had to lay out the whole story. They had to confess to Jacob, and seeing all the provisions that they brought from Egypt combined with what the brothers said, all this put together uh, led to the conclusion that Joseph was still alive. 
The end of verse 27 tells us the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. He pulled himself together. He got over his shock. His thinking recovered and he was right again. And then in verse 28, it says, Then Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Immediately, Jacob promised to go to Egypt as Joseph had arranged to see his son before his death. And even though verse 28 here, it sounds like Jacob's on the verge of dying. Chapter 47, 28 tells us that he had 17 years to spend with his son in Egypt. Pretty cool, huh? It says, uh, chapter uh, 47, 28 says, And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the length of Jacob's life was 147 years. Great chapter, you guys. In this chapter, we've seen forgiveness, reconciliation, hope, God's love and grace all taking place here. And there's a, there's a lot of important lessons for us to take from this account. I want to end by sharing a few of them, a few things for us to consider from this chapter. First, there are times when we go through situations in life that seem bad or intended or bad toward us, but in the end turn out for good. Many times we don't see the end result until we're in the midst of it or after the fact. I shared with you guys before how I ended up here in ministry. You know, things got really ugly where I used to work. And my co-workers were turning against me and things were happening. And I'm like, Lord, what's going on here? And it got ugly. But not until all this transpired, I look back and I go, that's why God did this. I wouldn't have, I would still be there. It's in times, in these times that we must draw from the Lord's strength. We're in the midst of, of things that we sometimes don't understand that are going on. In the midst of, this, in, of these situations, we have to make sure also that we don't blow our witness. As Joseph didn't blow his witness. And make things worse. Sometimes things are happening and we don't know. And we go and we make decisions on our own. And we do stupid things and we get in trouble even more. Instead of buckling down and, and just waiting on God. And I know it's not easy. But we got to be careful. Psalm 18.2 says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust. My shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. We need to cling to that. Also, as you see Joseph's life, he was just a typical guy in a family with many issues, just like many of us. Just a different time period. But he turned to God and put his hope and trust in him, in God, and God did a great work on Joseph's heart and attitude. And the reason, I believe, is that Joseph had a vertical perspective. We saw how he told his brothers. He basically said, this wasn't your ploy that got me here. This was God's plan that got me here. Even though you hated me and you sold me here, I've discovered something while I've been here. Behind your ploy was God's plan. By looking to God, Joseph was able to grow with that vertical perspective in life. 
And as a result, he was able to forgive and reconcile with his brothers. And God wants to do the same with us. He desires to do an incredible work on our hearts as we continue to grow in him. We need to stay closely connected to him, allowing him to transform us and change us. The Lord wants to truly wants us to truly comprehend how great he is, how vast he is. And through this to understand that he's in control. He wants us to grow in him and have the right perspective on life. He wants us to trust his promises so that we can grow with a heart that that can love and that can forgive. And that can trust the Lord. We have to. Especially in this day and age that we live in. And I'm sure Joseph had many times of doubt. He had to have had uncertainty. He was human. He had to have feelings of just being overwhelmed, even as we might in our situations in life. But what did he do with them? That's the difference. Did he, he gave them over to the Lord. He trusted in him and he was a good witness unto the Lord and God granted him favor. Also, we need to realize that a heart of forgiveness is a mark of godly character. See, our problem is not knowing we should forgive, but it's in doing it. And we need to seriously allow the scriptures to transform us. Ephesians 4.32, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. We are commanded to forgive. It's a mark of godly character and maturity in our walk with the Lord. But that being said, forgiveness does not mean that there are no consequences or correction needed toward the one who has done us wrong. Remember, Joseph waited for a period of time. He tested his brothers before he revealed himself. It was during that time that Joseph needed to be assured that his brothers had changed their attitude toward their sin, that there was repentance. Made me think of our children. Sometimes we have to, we need to spank them, but we also forgive them. There's still consequences. Somebody might steal my money, but, and I may forgive them, but there still requires consequences for that theft. But the way Joseph dealt with his brothers, you guys, is also the way God has dealt with us. Joseph could have put his brothers in prison. He could have sent them back home with nothing. He could have had his brothers executed. Instead, Joseph showed mercy. He showed grace toward them. And that's the way God has shown to us. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. This is how God has dealt with us. Also, forgiveness is a choice. It's not based on our feelings. If it was based on our feelings, most of the times we don't do it. I know I wouldn't. I'll forgive her if she forgives me first. That usually doesn't happen. Or I'll say I'm sorry if, if she says it first. Sometimes we just need to repent, ask for forgiveness, take responsibility. And let God work. God would do a great work if we do.
When there is true forgiveness, it frees us. It frees the person who forgives. And it frees them of bitterness and anger. I have known people throughout time who have harbored bitterness and anger in their hearts and their lives. And as time goes on, they are miserable people. It's sad. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. When there's unresolved anger, it just leads to bitterness and ugliness in us. It leads to revenge. But forgiveness, just it's a freeing up and the enemy can't touch that. Joseph also did not parade his brother's sins. He didn't make them feel embarrassed. Instead, he tried to set them at ease. And when there's true forgiveness, we won't do the same. We won't parade other people's sins around. We won't stick it to them and make them feel embarrassed next time something comes up. Forgiveness means to release or set free. It's used of the cancellation of a debt. So in general, we can say that forgiveness is a conscious decision on the part of the offended party to release the offender from the penalty of guilt and the offense committed. And forgiveness is a decision on the part of the one offended to suffer the penalty that was due the offender. For example, if you come to my house and you break my lamp, I'll forgive you, but I still suffer the consequences of that lamp being broken. It cost Joseph. The price of Joseph's forgiveness was more than 20 years of being separated from his father. He was put into slavery, even in prison. And even as it cost Joseph, it cost our Lord the forgiveness of our sins. God loves us and sent his son to die for our sins so that we can have eternal life. John 3.16 God did not overlook our sins. He bore the penalty for them. That's genuine forgiveness. All of us who have placed our lives in Jesus Christ as, as, as our Savior, as the one who died for our sins, have experienced this forgiveness. This definition of forgiveness describes the pardon that God has offered to all of us through the cross of Jesus Christ. And we truly need to consider our own sinfulness and the forgiveness that God has freely given to us. The more we truly realize our own sinfulness and the forgiveness that we have received, it should have an incredible impact towards showing forgiveness to others. Forgiveness is a vital part of our Christian walk. So we have Joseph, the brother who forgave his brothers. Let's pray. Father, I just... uh, I'm so grateful, Lord, and blessed to be able to partake and and see the things that prophets and kings have longed to see. You've called us to this time to be able to see these types of instruction and the things in your word for our own benefit. You're so good to us for that, Lord. And I pray that you would help us all, Lord, in the times to come to be able to apply what you have shown us, that we would grow in you, Lord, that we would not be stagnant, that we would not regress, Lord, but that we would 
mature in you, Lord, as we wait for your soon return, Lord. And Father, help us, Lord, to be more sensitive to the needs of others around us, to be more caring, to be more forgiving. Lord, to have your agape love, Father, for those that need it. Father, only you can give us that, Lord, for we are sinful and we are just full of flesh, Lord. But, Lord, you are greater than that. Help us to break through. Thank you, Lord, for your incredible word. We love you. We praise you. Thank you for tonight in Jesus' name.